This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. It's all about the Bible here on Voice of Change today with myself, Lauren Jacobs. And yes, you're thinking, hey, it's K-Pulp, it's always about the Bible. Of course we are. We love the Bible. We want to encourage you to read it, study it, get into it, know it, proclaim it, live it. And you know, but also we want you to engage with the Bible from a very different perspective. Today we're going to be giving you two bits of meat on the show today. I'm going to be joined firstly by Dr. Glenn Corbett. Now, Glenn is a Near Eastern archaeologist fabulous exciting and phenomenal doing special work in archaeology in the lands of the bible and he's also the editor-in-chief of the biblical archaeology review now that magazine if you have it if you're subscribed to it if you sign up to it you will know that it is so impactful and I have been reading Bar for about 20 years now and discovering more and more of the Bible through archaeology brings it to life. It's exciting. And Glenn is going to be sharing with us a bit of the lesser known sites that have been discovered but how it impacts our faith. And yes, we're going to be touching on Jonah and the well. We're going to be touching on Deborah. We're going to be speaking about Jael. We're going to be speaking about women in the ancient earth the synagogues yes were they separated were men and women separated what was society like in those times and it's going to be all fabulous all exciting and really giving our faith a bit of flesh and also today i'm going to be joined by one of the team who are doing and hosting the bible reading marathon which is now in its fifth year here in South Africa. And so guess what? You are going to be challenged. You and your church, your faith community, your women's group, your cell group, your youth group, whomever you know your group is or how it's going to be functioning, we're going to be challenging you with the Bible reading marathon because it's exciting and also it's special because it's a whole joining together of Christians around South Africa reading their Bible. But I don't want to give you too much of that information just yet because Ilona, she is one of the team, one of the hosts, one of the founders. She's going to be joining me later on the show. We're going to be talking about that and how you Yes, you listening, how you can get involved. You're not just going to be sitting there. You're going to be doing something special. And it's going to be this challenge that we're going to give to you on Voice of Change towards the end of the show. So for the next hour, I pray that you will have a fantastic time with myself and my guests, that you will stay tuned and that we will begin to get excited about the Bible. Maybe your Bible's lying a bit dusty next to you. And as we get into some archaeology or we get into some challenge, you're going to go, actually, I'm dusting this book off and I'm finding a new found love for it that is what i hope happens during the show today so yeah this is me lauren jacobs it's k pulpit for the next hour don't go anywhere glenn is with me after this it is going to be really really great to have dr glenn corbett on the show today like i said earlier on we are really going to be hearing some fascinating realities today and dipping in diving deep into archaeology findings and how it should actually impact our bible reading which it should and you know definitely hearing from someone who has been involved in archaeology for a very very long time and particularly looking at you know the lands of the bible the people of the bible it's so important so glenn i want to say thank you so much for being with me today this is really going to be a treat for myself and for the listeners so welcome to the show 
Thank you so much, Lauren. And it's really a uh, pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me. Now, at the beginning of the show, was saying that, of course, you are the editor-in-chief of the Biblical Archaeology Review. For those of our listeners who maybe don't know what BAR does or BAS does, tell us a bit about the magazine, but also about what you guys just do in general. No, it's a great question. So Biblical Archaeology Review, or BAR as we like to call it, is a a popular magazine, a magazine that's been around for almost 50 years now. It started back in 1975, but it's really a popular magazine meant to present kind of the latest discoveries and research related to the world of the Bible in terms of uh, history, archaeology, biblical studies, and presenting those discoveries and those finds to a popular general audience interested in the world of the Bible. Hmm. And so we have our flagship Uh, publication, the magazine, which comes out four times a year, covers a range of topics from sort of the ancient Israelites to the period of the the Second Temple and uh, early uh, Judaism and early Christianity. And we even get into sort of the later periods and the Byzantine period and even the rise of Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, So we cover a range of topics, a range of periods, but it's uh, it's always a pleasure to present the world of the Bible and the archaeology and history that relates to the world of the Bible to a popular audience. Mm. I love that you're saying to a popular audience, because sometimes people think, oh, well, archaeology and these kind of conversations could be very, you know, scholarly or just focused around that, you know, academics and discoveries. And, you know, it's so amazing. And I have been following Bar for a very, very long time, about almost 20 years. And so it's incredible to just, you know, be able to read and to be able to understand things like you said for a popular audience it's not you know filled with things that maybe you don't understand as just a general reader it's such a cool format and so great to be able to engage especially with the bible from an archaeological perspective have you found that people when you know you present findings or you share things that people actually get really intrigued it's like their faith comes alive because you're not just reading the bible as like this history book that maybe these people live long ago but these are things that are being discovered in the earth it's been discovered you know the material culture that we talk about it's being discovered right there so we can begin to view it have you found that that changes mindsets when people read their bible or even when they engage with their own faith yes i think absolutely i mean i think more so than anything else what archaeological finds do what historical finds do is they place the the bible and its stories and its writing in a context and not just a spiritual context or religious context, but it actually places it within in the context of the times and the places in which the texts were written or in which the stories occurred or in which they were thought to have occurred. And so every time, whether it's we're talking about something from 3,000 years ago, which we think is about the time of, say, the beginning of the, the state of King David and King Solomon, whenever we find sites and artifacts that relate to that time, it sort of fleshes out the biblical story a little bit, sometimes even causes us to question and challenge the biblical story and mm-hmm. how historic was it and so on and so forth. But more so than anything, it just helps us put some real people, some real stories to what we find in the Bible. And these mm-hmm. artifacts tell us a, uh, an incredible amount about day-to-day life, about how people were living, not just in the cities, but in the countryside. And so the biblical stories really do come to life based on archaeological findings. Mm. And now speaking of archaeological findings, that's where we're actually going to dig into today. 
And we're going to have a focus, I think, in our conversation on what we would probably consider some of the lesser known sites or some of the smaller sites. You know, particularly, probably some of the listeners have been to Israel, they've traveled around and seen the big sites, you know, visited the Pool of Siloam or the City of David or, you know, there's big sites that we see. But really, there are so many smaller sites that have been discovered that actually present and you've really had this this impact of seeing things in these smaller sites actually presenting so much to us. One of the smaller sites that I wanted us to to really talk about is Magdala. Now, for people who are listening who are probably thinking, okay, what's this about? You know, Mary Magdalene definitely wasn't Mary Magdalene at all, but Miriam of Magdala of this incredible town. Tell us a bit about some of what was discovered there. Of course, you know, it being a smaller, probably lesser known site, but lots of interesting things came out there. So will you give us a bit of an insight onto, onto some of the archaeology that was done there and maybe is still being done? Yes, Magdala is a very interesting site right on the sort of western shore of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Tiberias in Israel. Um, there was always, for a very long time, people have known there was a site there. And indeed, there was a sort of village from the 19th and earliest 20th, 20th century that still somewhat preserved the name Magdala. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until maybe 10 or 15 years ago when they were expanding the, the area around the, the Sea of Galilee for sort of uh, road construction that they actually came across a uh, first century AD synagogue, one of our best preserved early Jewish synagogues from exactly the time of Jesus and the time mm-hmm. when Mary Magdalene would have, would have lived. And so it, it preserved in a very clear plan, a very clear structure, a very, very straightforward, very simple synagogue. Mm-hmm. Synagogues 2,000 years ago weren't what we think of today as sort of houses of worship for Jewish faithful. They were more sort of very much in line with Greco-Roman culture of the time. They were clubs, associations, place where people who recognized and and had affinity with the Jewish faith of the time, early Judaism, Mm -hmm. where they gathered, where they gathered to read the Torah, to read scriptures, to discuss and debate the laws within the Torah. We know from that period that there were whole, there wasn't just one Judaism, there were a variety of Judaisms during the Mm -hmm. second temple period, as we call it. And the synagogues were the places where Jews living in these towns and places in the first century gathered to talk once a week, usually on the Sabbath day, to talk about um, the Torah and to have readings and to meet as as a group. And so at Magdala, we found a very simple structure, very simple synagogue uh, lined with sort of stone benches. Um, no, the, very interestingly, uh, these synagogues were already decorated with very nice geometric mosaics, so they had mm-hmm. a very nice decorated interior. Perhaps most interesting, though, and this is, remember, this is first century AD, so this is prior mm-hmm. to the destruction of the temple by the Romans in 70 AD, which we know very, very well. Mm-hmm. So this, this synagogue is in use before that, and in the center of the, the synagogue, there's sort of we don't quite know what to call it. We call it the Magdala Stone, something because mm-hmm. archaeologists like to call things stones or steelers, but it's called the Magdala Stone. Basically a simple stone table, but it's carved with all these interesting reliefs of what are presumably Jewish symbols from that time. So we already mm-hmm. have depictions of the candelabra, the menorah. We have depictions of rosettes. We have other depictions of things that most people think reflect items, cultic items, ritual items that were present in the Jerusalem temple prior to its destruction. Mm -hmm. And so this very interesting and somewhat odd stone table discovered at Magda 
preserves a lot of the Jewish iconography that we still recognize today as Jewish already back during the first century AD. And so it's really a remarkable site. And again, the, these small sites that we often don't think about, these are not the big biblical cities of Jerusalem, Megiddo, mm -hmm. uh, Tiberias. This is a small site but um, just because of almost happenstance uh, through the process of salvage excavation when uh, you know, a highway needs to be constructed or mm. a new building, this, they came upon the remains of the synagogue, which actually revealed a great deal more about first century Jewish life than we previously knew. Mm. Well, and it's so incredible because for anybody who loves history or loves archaeology, when you actually visit a biblical site, even something like this, you you standing in a place that connects you with the people that lived long ago. You know, you can think if you're standing in Magdala, you can think of the woman that many people call Mary Magdalene and go, okay, she could have been here. You know, she could have been at this place. You know, she could have been in the synagogue. The, the people that we kind of just read about become more real. And I think that that's what's so exciting and it's so incredible. You know, can people visit the site of Magdala? You mentioned that, you know, there's some construction and obviously this is, that's probably a talking point as well. But what is going to happen with that site is, you know, if they build a road, does it mean that that is going to be lost or do they just kind of move the road somewhere else? And that's also a pretty uh, important point with all the, you know, all these developments that are happening, certainly in Israel, you know, sites stand to kind of be in the way. And how does this work now? Yeah, well, in, in the case of Magdalene, in, in the case of many sites that are discovered uh, through what we call salvage excavation that clearly have historical or religious or cultural value, those sites are actually you know, they make room for those sites to be preserved and presented. Mm -hmm. So if you go to Magdala today, and I was actually just there this past summer for the first time visiting the site, wow. um, is actually now part of a large uh, hotel and touristic complex mm -hmm. um, that has been developed around the site of Magdala. And so actually, you actually go through the hotel to actually enter into the site, uh, which is very, very well presented now with pathways, with signage, a nice shelter over the first century synagogue. Mm. Uh, they have the uh, reconstruction of the Magdala stone sitting, actually placed in the synagogue, but the actual stone itself, believe it or not, now sits in a display in the museum lobby, uh, excuse okay. me, in the hotel lobby. Mm. Um, so if you want to see that the authentic stone is actually now in the hotel lobby right by the bar. Mm. Oh, that is so cool because uh, it's it's it means that when you go visit, you can actually see these sites, and and that's exciting. And I also like the lesser known, smaller sites. You know, we all know obviously about Tal Megiddo when we visit Israel. That's where we go, and you know, the biggest sites. But this is actually really incredible, and the fact that of course it's been preserved and it's been kept there. You know, yes in a little bit of a touristy way, but that's that's what it is. And it's it's quite exciting. And I, I think that is really great that they're doing that. One of the other places that I wanted to talk about, again, a smaller site, relates to Jonah and the whale, as well as the Tower of Babel, and that is Hukuk. I hope I've pronounced it correctly with all these yeah. cues. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about that site, because that's quite exciting. And one of the things I want to say to those who are listening, you know, when we 
discover archaeological finds and discoveries, it really does mean that archaeology is confirming what we're reading in the Bible as well. And a lot of people talk about that from a theological perspective. You know, what, what confirms each other? Does the Bible confirm archaeology? Does archaeology confirm the Bible? And that's also a very interesting discussion and debate. But this is quite interesting when we talk about Jonah and the Ware, the Tower of Babel. Tell us a bit about the site. Yeah, so there's a site um, in the, the Galilee region, so in northern Israel and the Galilee, that I, I forget the date, but probably began being excavated probably about 10 or 15 years ago now. It's a site called Hukok. Mm-hmm. And this has been determined to be a, a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, dating from several centuries after the Magdala synagogue. So this is 5th century AD. So this is in the, in the 400s, and this is when... Uh, rabbinic Judaism within uh, Byzantine Palestine, the land of Israel, is now fairly well established with Jewish thought and Jewish thinkers, the development of the Mishnah and the the Oral Law and the Talmud. Mm. And Jewish life by this time is really revived and is vibrant. And the Hukok Synagogue is, is incredibly well decorated with panel after panel, these wonderful floor mosaics. Mosaics are these little stone cubes that when put together in designs, make elaborate designs of artistic geometric patterns. You can create, you know, figurative decoration. And these mosaics preserve really rare and exceptional examples of early Jewish art related to stories from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so the mosaics themselves, these mosaic floors, preserve, for example, depictions of Jonah and the whale, or they preserve depictions of the building of the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have several depictions of stories from Exodus and Joshua and Judges. So, for example, there's a a depiction of the Exodus in Mosaic. There's a depiction of the story of Samson. Most recently, they they keep going back to the site every Every summer, it's excavated by one of the most prominent uh, American archaeologists working in this period in Israel, Jody Magnus, who's at the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But just this past summer, they discovered another mosaic panel of the story of Deborah, the, uh, the, the judge yeah. and the prophetess Deborah from the Book of Judges, um, and talking about the very famous battle with the Canaanite general and, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And so it's uh, a very elaborate synagogue. But again, is, is, this is not one of the great cities of the biblical past. This is a very sort of off the beaten path, lesser known site, was only really used and occupied for probably 100 years or so. Mm-hmm. But during, because of that, because the, the life of the site was so short, it almost preserves a time capsule of what mm-hmm. Jewish life was like in Galilee, or at least what Jewish art was like in Galilee mm-hmm. during the Byzantine period, during the 5th and 6th centuries. And so really opened up in entirely new horizons on really the art art and art history of Jewish Palestine uh, during late antiquity. So a really remarkable site and one, you know, we otherwise, you know, just wouldn't know much about unless we had archaeology. Yeah, definitely. And I love this site. Uh, I love that you mentioned Deborah because I actually shared an article about this very site uh, on my social media. And I really encourage the listeners to go on and, and, you know, maybe Google it. And then you can see, you know, these earliest known images of two biblical heroines that we talk about, Deborah and Jael. And you can actually see those mosaics actually on the internet. And it's so incredible because when you see them like that depicted, it is so fascinating, but also it's 
it's really, really exciting because here we have these two women that are depicted and we see their stories kind of unfolding in mosaic format. And it's so incredible and, it, and it's super exciting. And, and it, I, yeah. it's also just to say, I think it's incredible because this is the way that people, you know, was 1500, 1600 years ago, were thinking about the biblical stories. Clearly they already mm -hmm. had the biblical text in front of them. They knew these stories very well. And it gives us a sense of how they were expressing them through art. Mm. And that's something we often think of our biblical stories through Renaissance painters or modern Hollywood yeah. movies. But this tells us how people 1,500, 1,600 years ago were imagining these stories. And that's quite incredible. Mm. What conclusion would you draw if you're looking at this mosaics and you see Deborah there and JL there? You know, how what, what kind of, because I know it's, it's often open to interpretation, but what, what do you think was going through the minds of the people when they were creating these mosaics about these women that we know how powerful they were in the biblical stories, but what do you think was going through their mind? That's probably a pretty big question. You know, all the 1,600 or so years ago, they were still connecting with those stories, but do you think there was something specific going on in their minds at that time that they actually brought it to life around them in these mosaics? That's a very good question, and as you suggest, that's one that's challenging to answer. I mean, I think more than anything, it tells us that these stories were already certainly very well known and very well understood, but also were very much revered. And so mm -hmm. the idea, you know, by, by this time, synagogues were much more akin to houses of worship. It, they weren't just sort of places for Jews to assemble, but they're really they were more sort of spiritually oriented. And so having these stories presented on the floors of the very sanctuary in which you're doing your prayers, you're doing your readings, mm. is a constant visual reminder of your own heritage mm -hmm. and your link to the past, but also the morals that you, or the, the values and lessons learned from these particular stories. Mm. Um, so, so I think whatever they meant to them or these particular figures, I think it certainly tells us that the biblical text, that the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, was already uh, very much recognized as Jewish heritage, and the stories were very much recognized as Jewish heritage by the time. Hmm. I love that. I remember, I think it was around about December time, reading about a Byzantine, uh, you know, I think it was a church that was discovered that ha it, it, definitely in Israel, and I'm trying to think of exactly where it was, but you would probably know, and, and part of the church, I think, it's around about Ashdod or that kind of area where they discovered this incredible church with these inscriptions to deaconesses and just all these women that were honored in this um, Byzantine basilica that they found. And uh, I, I'm really, I think it was a few years ago, but I only re remember hearing this or reading about it in December. And then this also is very fascinating to me because it's revealing how people saw female leadership as well and women in at during that time period and i think it was could be in third or fourth century ad but maybe you you would remember what i'm talking about but i do remember hearing about it and i think and reading about it and archaeology reveals this kind of uh, thought as well today something that we still talk about a lot can women be leaders you know it's still a debate that's had today and yet we we're discovering things that show women in leadership and women also in a very high position and having this basilica built to these women have all these mosaics and inscriptions in them and i think that that's quite fascinating as well because then actually these findings speak to our own theology today, all these years later in how we should think about life and how we should think about our own faith. 
No, that's certainly the case. And one thing, I, I think especially the synagogues and uh, Byzantine churches and sites from late antiquity, so from basically what we call the, the late Roman period, mm. um, from the time when the, the Roman Empire had sort of uh, converted to Christianity. By this time, we do see women, unlike our sort of traditional thoughts you know, today, we do see women much more engaged in the leadership, especially, I think, of church communities, but also in synagogue communities, where women are more prominent. And it's really over the course of several centuries thereafter that uh, we get the sort of more traditional narrative of women having, you know, more subservient roles within the church. But certainly everything we know from early Christianity and even early Judaism shows us that uh, women had a much more prominent um, place within um, leadership circles than we tend to imagine. Mm. That's quite interesting, and I love I love that as well. When we're talking about that, when I was in Israel, we visited a synagogue, and there was a huge discussion, uh, you know, on whether you know men and women were separated, like in the modern day synagogues today, men and women do not sit together. But you know, was that the case when Jesus was around? You know, was that the case just before Jesus was around? And and that that's an interesting conversation that archaeology helps us begin to think about. I know that there's lots that has been written about that, but from what you've discovered and seen and read and heard, what is your opinion on that? You know, what what do we know from the archaeology? I'm throwing this out there, uh, you know, about men and women sitting together, or you know, were they separate? Especially, especially around the time when Jesus was, you know, on the earth what what do we think about that what is what is your thoughts yeah it's 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 again one of those questions where we wish we had more archaeological or textual evidence to tell us exactly what was mm. the case but i think what we can say is during especially the first century ad and the second century during the time of jesus as well as during the time of paul and his missions certainly women could be included very easily within these communities and often where we see no radical differentiation or distinction, especially in the history of archaeology, between spaces for, for men and spaces for women. Mm. Um, especially what we know of uh, who could join in some of these synagogue spaces, who were the, the, the donors who contributed to synagogues. We find both men and women, so the wealthy mm -hmm. elite donors who uh, paid for the construction for some of these synagogues were both men and women. So presumably women were also very much part of the community and involved in those synagogue meetings. We certainly know from the letters of Paul that women were very much included with, within his early church, house church communities, mm. were very much part of that setting. Now, how they physically were arranged within the space and where you know, did, 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 did men sit here and women sit here, we don't kind of have that mm. level of resolution. But we do know especially in those early centuries before the church councils and before the really the rise of the sort of formal, especially Christian faith doctrines, mm. it was a much more egalitarian um, religious movement um, mm. during the time of Jesus and I think even during the time of Paul. Mm. Sure, that's that's really awesome to hear. Thank you so much for answering that question. You know, that was something that I was just thinking about and definitely something that was a conversation when I went to Israel that, that you know, many people on our tour were having and it was so, so interesting to hear. Now, Glenn, I also wanted to ask if people can, you know, read more. I know that the, ma the magazine is incredible. You guys also release blog posts that are incredibly fascinating. If people want to engage with the magazine, you know, they want to get a copy, they want to sign up, they want to 
read things on the website. How do they do that? Especially here from South Africa, I know that that would be slightly different to those who are living in the US, but how do people do that from Atia? Well, certainly the, the first thing to do is to try to visit our website, which is biblicalarchaeology.org, or if that's too much to put in, I re just recommend Googling uh, Bible History Daily, which is basically our web and blog site. Mm -hmm. And through that site, um, you'll be able to both uh, subscribe to the print magazine, if, if you like. I, I'm not sure what our current international arrangement is, but you can mm -hmm. certainly subscribe to our quote-unquote all-access subscription, which is basically where you get a digital edition of the magazine, as well as the library of, again, Barr's been around an amazing number of years, almost mm. 50 years. So you get that entire library of content at your fingertips online. Um, so if you want access to the, the quarterly magazine, that's probably the most direct way. But also through that portal, Bible History Daily, we have a very active web and blog presence. We post regular news updates. So if you're interested in some of these things Lauren's been talking about, some of these latest discoveries and finds, we post all the time little news articles about those uh, pieces. Increasingly, we have video content filmed in Israel, in Jerusalem, mm. taking you to sites um, to get brief introductions to sites like Megiddo or Hatzor or Caesarea. And so we have this wonderful web portal where you can really get introduced to a lot of the archaeological news and events that are happening. Hmm. And also through that portal, just one other thing to mention is what we call our sort of travel study program, but it's basically our opportunities to uh, participate in uh, travel seminars, study tours in Israel. Mm -hmm. But I think more um, interestingly, perhaps for your audience, is virtual online programming where twice a year we now have a basically a virtual two-day conference mm -hmm. where uh, everyday folks can hear from about two dozen of the top scholars in archaeology and the Bible to hear about the latest discoveries, the latest excavations, and I think also, especially those people who are working on biblical history, you know, what does the Bible itself tell us? If we take a critical look, what mm -hmm. does it tell us about biblical events, biblical stories, the context in which the Bible was written? So we have a lot of top-notch scholars participating in these events. We also have every quarter, we have one evening lecture that people can sign up for. I think coming up just in two days, we have a lecture by Jody Magnus mm -hmm. about the archaeology of Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so really, it's a large number of events. I, I suggest your listeners check it out, Bible History Daily. And through that platform, you can see a lot of the different things that we do in addition to the magazine. Mm, wow, that's really exciting. And especially the lectures, that's going to be something that I know some of the listeners definitely want to get involved with. So please go on over and visit those sites and, and you know, sign up and even subscribe to the magazine. It is incredible and it's definitely worth it. And I know because I've been reading and doing it for about 20 years now. And lastly, Glenn, I also wanted to ask, maybe there's someone listening that's saying, well, actually, I'm not an archaeologist, but I've always loved this field. You know, are there opportunities out there for people who want to join dig sites or maybe they go to Israel, you know, on a holiday or on a tour? And actually, they just want to, you know, not just visit a site, but they want to be active. Are there opportunities for people to do that? You know, maybe not with you guys, but how do people go about doing that? Because I know that I've been asked by people saying, wow, I would love to actually get my hands dirty and work on a site and help to, you know, just look at biblical history more closer, even though I'm maybe not qualified yet. Is there a way that people can do that? No, that's a great question. And that's also a question I get all the time. 
Um, one of the great things we do on our website, again, Bible History Daily, is you'll notice that there's a tab for digs, excavations. And mm -hmm. there, on an annual basis, we update all of the dig opportunities in Israel and, and basically surrounding countries like Jordan, Turkey, even in the Mediterranean, that offer dig experiences for volunteers. And so these are people yeah. who are not professional archaeologists. A lot mm -hmm. of them are students going into archaeology and so on and so forth. But we also get a lot of people who are just everyday people who have always been interested in archaeology and want that opportunity to get their hands dirty. Mm -hmm. And so through that uh, page on our website, which we'll actually be updating with new information here in probably the next month or two, but you'll see a listing of all the new dig opportunities that are being offered for the next year. Keep in mind, most of these, because of the nature of archaeological projects, tend to go in the summer months mm -hmm. and summer in the, the northern uh, hemisphere. So um, typically in June, July, August, mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in going for Israel, most of the digs usually ex accept volunteers for periods of two weeks or more. Mm -hmm. um, and it's usually a wonderful opportunity. That's how I really got involved in archaeology in Israel many, many years ago. Wow. Um, and so I recommend looking at that website to get an idea of the major projects that are in the field. For those on shorter tours, there are a handful of projects in Israel where you can get kind of a, a, a taste of mm. archaeology. And these are often called dig for a day programs or sifting programs. Mm -hmm. um, and so people can reach out to me if they're interested in learning more about those. There's one that allows you to kind of dig for a couple of hours at a site called Beit Kruvrin. Mm -hmm. um, which is just west of Jerusalem. And I think more popularly is uh, the project called the Temple Mount Sifting Project, which allows uh, just volunteers to come. It's, it's set up, I think, just outside of Jerusalem. And you can sift um, debris and soil that has come from the area of the Temple Mount or the Noble Sanctuary in Jerusalem and sift that looking for finds from all different periods of Jerusalem's history. And so I know they're always e eager to have people to, to help them do that. So, yeah, I certainly people should check out our website, that digs page, if they're interested in learning more. Uh, we also have kind of guides that sort of allow people to get a sense of what the dig life, the dig experience is like. It's an mm. experience not to be missed. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's definitely a good uh, resource for people who want to know uh, or want to think about going on a dig in Israel. Mm. Wow, thank you so much for that, Glenn. I want to say thank you also for being with me today. The time went really quickly. I had some more questions, but we might have to do another one of these, you know, in the near future. But I want to say thank you so much for being with me today and for sharing a little bit with us about these lesser known sites. Also, you know, opportunities that listeners and, you know, those of us who are listening in now that can we can go oh okay let's go on over to the website let's click on that link and see what we can get involved with so glenn i want to say thank you so much for being with me today and all the best for the incredible work that you are doing and it's just been such a pleasure to have you with me thank you so much lauren and it's been a great time and thanks for the great questions thank you so much take care it is so exciting to be able to read our Bible before the break. We were talking about biblical archaeology and Glenn was such a blessing to the show today and just really, you know, speaking to us from a deeper perspective of finding that which is in the ground, finding that which is around us. 
in, you know, discoveries and findings to really bring the Bible to life. So today on the show, it's all about the Bible. As I keep saying today, we are joined by Ilona DeWitt, who is involved with the Bible Reading Marathon, which is going to be celebrating its fifth year. Now, Ilona, firstly, it's so good to have you with me today. I hope that you are having a wonderful day and it's exciting to be talking about the Bible with you. Um, thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for having me on your show. Now, tell us a bit about the Bible Reading Marathon. What is it about? How does it work? Um, Lauren, the, during the marathon, the Bible is read continuously and publicly in one setting, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We've got readers booking 15 to 30 minute reading slot at a time, mm-hmm. and then readers like Readers take turns reading the Bible in 15-minute to 30-minute reading slots from Genesis to Revelation continuously, day and night, night and day, for about four days Hmm. until we read Revelation. And it it takes about 81 to 87 hours to complete this. Wow. So does this mean that everybody has to be together at one place? So if someone wanted to join, would that mean that they have to be in the same area or in the same place? Or is this something that, you know, people across South Africa can do and join with? For for our marathon, um, people actually reserve a slot and they come to the hall and they read um, over a microphone publicly in a specific setting. Um, we've, that we made a... Invitation to other churches to take on the Bible reading challenge to host their own Bible reading marathons this year. Mm-hmm. The goal of the marathon is for people to put the fo- their focus back on God's word and to ignite a love for the word of God in the hearts of people. Mm. That, that is really important and really special and exciting. So tell us where you are going to be so that if people are in your area that are listening in now, they can sign up and they can actually come and be with you guys. Tell us firstly how they would be able to do that. They can contact me um, on my cell phone number or Elmerita Weeks, who is my partner in the bookings, mm-hmm. and they can sign up for the reading slot. Um, our marathon is taking place on the 26th of October until the 30th of October. We're starting at 9 o'clock on the Wednesday evening, and we expect to read, um, reach Revelation Sunday morning between 7 and 9 in the morning. Sorry, we're situated in Utenaik, in at 8 Freire Crescent, Utenaik. Mm, that's awesome. So if anyone is out in that area, they can get in touch with yourself or they can, you know, contact you and say, okay, we want to be involved here. So could you give us that cell phone number, please? Yes, my cell phone number is 073-350-6999. And then Almerita's week's cell phone number is 072-357-2829. So anyone that's interested in getting involved and can come and read the Bible and just really proclaim God's word, it's so powerful and important when we speak God's word aloud as well. Even part of the marathon, it's so powerful. They can get in touch and, you know, it's out there in Utenaig. If you're in that area, please get in touch and it's going to be fantastic. Now, Ilona, also, if people are maybe not in Utenaig and they may be in Johannesburg or they're sitting, you know, in Seapoint somewhere, are you challenging them to also maybe do something in their local community, maybe their Bible study group, their church? Is that a bit of a challenge that you're putting out there for others as well this year? Yes, Lauren, definitely. It will be wonderful if individuals or churches can host their own Bible reading marathon in their local communities or in their, their towns. 
from my own experience, I've seen the Lord's faithfulness in this event, and I'm convinced that anybody taking on this challenge, the Lord will partner with that person to make it happen. We have digital administrative materials available that we are willing to share with any church to start their own first marathon. It will make it much easier for any mm. church who doesn't have any experience to run with this initiative at mm. their church. Anybody can just contact me who's interested and I'll share this freely. I'm also willing to give any practical advice needed on the practical questions like how does the change over between readers work? Because we have five years of experience. Um, it will be wonderful if this event can spread over South Africa and it happens annually in all the provinces, provinces in South Africa. It will just be wonderful. We've got so many testaments, testimonies of people being mightily touched by reading the word of God for themselves publicly. Um, it was, it's just unbelievable. Mm. We see it every single day. Hmm. It does. It sounds like such a blessing. And I know that I've heard people testifying just of the power of God's word when you read it out loud as well. People have experienced, you know, healing and whether it be in their body and their heart. And I'm sure that that's something that you have heard as well. So we encourage the listeners today. We encourage you if you're listening and, and you're feeling excited about what Ilona is sharing to say, yes, get involved with what they are doing or encourage your local community to do something like this and do it and then you know, spread the word and say, hey, come, let's do this together. And it will be so powerful and so exciting. Ilona, thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you so much for your whole team that is doing this important, important marathon. I know it's going to be incredibly blessed. So thank you so much for just touching on this with us. I'll give you Ilona's details again at the end of the show, how to get in touch with her. And she's willing to help, help you with those practical tools and also how to get started or to join their Bible reading marathon in its fifth year. So that's really exciting. Lona, thank you again for being with me today and all the best for this Bible reading marathon. I know it is going to be really incredible and touch many lives this year. Thank you, Lauren. Be blessed. We've had such a wonderful show together today from the Bible reading marathon straight through to discoveries archaeologically that confirms the Bible, as we say. And it's been so incredible just to hear what people are doing. And, you know, maybe you've been on a dig out in Israel, out in the Holy Land. Maybe you've been on a dig out in Jordan or, you know, you visited digs in Egypt. It's so exciting when you see things coming from the ground. It is just incredible. And again, you're looking at something that is so incredibly old but also something that's been held or made you know by somebody who lived all those many hundreds even thousands of years ago it's exciting so i pray that the show has been a blessing to you today and again if you want to go on a dig go on over to that website and click on digs find out what's happening and get there in the dirt you know, I remember when I was very young, I still told my parents, I want to be an archaeologist one day. And my father said, there's no ways you can be an archaeologist. You hate getting your hands dirty. And I, I hate actually physically touching anything that's dirty. And I was like that from a child. And my dad would be like, you cannot put your hands in the sand. It would really bother you. So you know what, if you're like me and you don't like getting your hands actually physically dirty because you have something, you know, that, that upsets you, there's many different ways to interact with the world of the Bible. As we know, yes, there are museums. Yes, there are research reports. There are these talks that we can go to and attend and lectures. So there's always a way to learn about our faith. There's Bibles that focus just on archaeology that are archaeological study Bibles. There are all those different resources and tools that we 
we can use. And also you can listen in here like you're doing now to Voice of Change and getting excited to go, hey, I'm interacting with the Bible in a way that I love because we all actually interact with the Bible differently. And so we need to be able to interact with it in a way that's true to our passions and that's true to our personality as God has made us. So for some of us, we love that archaeological spin. And this is why it's been so great to be with you. Also, do not forget, like Ilona said, you can set up your own Bible reading marathon. And I want to challenge you as the listeners today to do that and to invite us here at Radio K Pulpit as well. We would love to come on down and to see and to hear and to read the Bible. We want to see the Bible being read, the Word of God being loved and proclaimed because it's spoken out into the atmosphere and it changes things. So don't forget, you can join Ilona and her team out in Utenaig and it's 073-350-6999. That is Ilona's details. I'm going to say it one more time. 073-350-6999. And you can get in touch with Ilona and find out how to join theirs or maybe you want to get some of that information on how to do your own. And there's a few months left of this year, so there's still time. It's so, so great when we proclaim the Word of God, when we love the Word of God, when we, you know, speak it out over our homes, our families, our nations. It's powerful. So until next week, I look forward to being with you then. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking about living as a migrant in South Africa. And this is a very, very important topic because we are seeing large-scale xenophobia or small-scale xenophobia, even in people's hearts and lives towards people who are living in our country but who are not from our country. It's an important conversation to have. So until then, see you next week. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.